0: full round table the ufo
1: thinker and pursuit of the paranormal podcasts okay welcome back to the monthly roundup round table by My, myself frank ufo thinker podcast Pat of the colonel beans cab network and we are a little bit uh, a little bit less in terms of personnel uh, than uh, what we were planning. We've had a couple that, that weren't able to make it, but we've, there's still three of us as there has been actually for the last few roundtables. So I'll have to start going to the triangular table. I think that would be quite appropriate, actually. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's my pleasure to be joined again, as as I often am these days, by Dave. How are you doing, Dave?
0: Oh, i have been good for Frank. Looking forward to this and uh, great to see Davy. Which I've given the game away a bit, really, haven't I? speaking.
1: That's it, yeah. Well, we've got Dave. And uh, as as Dave has has already announced there, we've got Davey as well. So one half of the Mechanism podcast, Davey Johnston, making an actual return appearance after a little while. Uh, So how are you doing, Davey? Good to see you back.
2: I'm very well indeed. And great to be able to spend my time talking about this lovely subject with uh, two such knowledgeable, friendly, personable people as yourselves, guys.
1: Hey, well, thanks very much. I've got my brew. I've got my cup of Earl Grey, which is actually a little bit too hot to drink at the minute, but it'll 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 uh, work itself down to a consumable temperature in good time, I'm sure. And uh, as you say, very nice to sip on an Earl Grey uh, with some good company talking about UFOs. That's my kind yes. of an evening, is that right there. So, uh, yeah, you've been up so much anything exciting dave anything going on in the in the world of dave so oh, well yeah, we...
2: oh, oh sorry, sorry dave. no 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 you go on <laughs> davey go, go on mate <laughs> i i answered too quickly there so yeah um I, i've had to take a myself and ash did very similar to you in that we took a little break from our podcast the mechanism recently because i've just started a new role at work which has given me a load of extra responsibilities and as yet not seeing the benefits of it, but uh, yeah, I'm glad to be able to leave work behind and come and talk to you both. And uh, Dave, I'm sorry I talked over you, mate. I won't do it again. No, well, it was hey, fault,
0: well, because he did say Dave, didn't he, rather than Davey? So let's, let's just make sure the blame falls where it should <laughs> <laughs> no I No, I, I, uh, I should have known better, actually. Yeah, I've not been up to it, I've been doing a little like you, Davey, a bit of work and stuff, but there's been that much to keep up on that's been coming out. I know it's supposed to be a quiet period, but there's loads of stuff coming out, so I found myself watching quite a lot. I'm thinking I've been running a few things over, so hopefully we'll get into it tonight. But I think we might be talking about consciousness a bit tonight, Davy. So you're our ringer who's come in on the consciousness front, very good. And even one half of the mechanism is uh, <laughs> even though that's ironic in itself, he's better than better than none, I would say, for this discussion,
1: yeah, very, very much so. And um. Yeah, I think, uh, as you say, Dave, there's there's been, it's a funny one, there's been lots of little things really kind of going on, you know, I think in, in the topic over the last month or so. I don't think there's really been like one huge bombshell thing happened really this this month i don't think which is it's funny because obviously as we get to the end of each month i I kind of make some notes and we have little chats behind the scenes to figure out what we're going to talk about on the round table i think this is the first month in actually quite a while where there's not been an absolutely major bombshell story of some type you know like kirkpatrick leaves arrow or there's a hearing announced or some kind of major Thing comes out. There's not really been anything like that this month, but there has been a lot of other bits and pieces kind of bubbling away uh, in the background, and and I think the reason why that has been the case, um, we'll probably get into as as we chat through the things that have been happening as well. Um, but the first thing on the agenda to discuss. Is um, Tom DeLonge? Hang on, are we going to say this, Tom DeLonge or Tom Delong Because every time I say it one way or the other, people, somebody messages me saying, "Oh, that's not how you pronounce it." What are we going? We're we going with DeLonge or DeLong. We'll have a little three-way vote.
0: DeLong for me, because I can. I found I sound even more ridiculous saying DeLonge.
2: So DeLong for okay. me. I don't mind. Davy's see what Davy thinks. Yeah. Delong for me I'm a linguist I'd go with Delong although oh. there's a long history of Americans mispronouncing their own surnames one <laughs> of my favorites is is the musician Jeff Buckley who was originally surnamed Gibert Giber, G U I B E R T French pronunciation and they called themselves the Giberts oh. so yeah wow DeLong. there we
1: go yeah. yeah well there we have it i think we've we've reached a consensus then in that case um i'll go with the majority we'll go delong so and i'm sure there'll be plenty of people relieved to hear that because i think that is the typical american accepted pronunciation of of the word and tom if you're listening sorry for debating your surname so much i'm sure he's not listening but just in case um good luck on tour so um tts talks formerly ttsa talks podcast has recently released uh, an episode with Tom DeLonge and Jim Semivan. So Tom is the singer and guitarist from the band uh, Blink-182, as I'm sure most people will be aware of. And uh, Jim Semivan is a former senior CIA intelligence officer. And both of these two are founding members of TTSA, uh, which was originally to the STARS Academy of Arts and Sciences, uh, now just known as TTS, which is just simply to the STARS. And the TTSA Talks podcast uh, has, has in the past featured discussion with many of the key figures in the TTSA team or TTS team, as it's now known. Uh, but there hasn't been an episode go out on, on their uh, podcast channel on Spotify for quite a while. The last one, I think, was June 2022. And this new episode is basically it's pretty much Jim Semivan interviewing Tom, I think, for, for the most part with, with Tom kind of doing most of the talking um and some of the the key points that, that i'd picked up from listening to it um we'll, we'll go into and then we'll see what you guys think as well um. so around about the eight minute mark jim semivan asks tom a question including the point that the the us government may not know as much as we think it does um, which tom kind of goes on to agree with in, in his answer to that and, and the bits that he's talking about after and it's it's a funny one this because it's something that i myself have kind of said uh you know in terms of often people throw out these huge generalizations of like one extreme or another like either the u.s government knows exactly what's going on and it's keeping it secret or there's no ufos and the government don't know anything and as usual the answer is probably somewhere in between those you know major sort of generalizations i think the um the idea that the the us government knows all about ufos and, and should disclose all of it to the public is is kind of you know quite far in, in in one direction towards an extreme the us government sort of is a term that's so broad that it doesn't even really make sense you know there's like hundreds of thousands of people uh, that that make up what we would think of as the us government wider organization and obviously, they are all not briefed on the UAP reality. You know, if, if they had to go through that as part of their induction process, I think the secret wouldn't last very long. Um, but it is possible that a small number of people with a direct need to know, uh, for whatever reason, are told key parts of, of the puzzle sort of thing in order to study it. And probably an even smaller number told the whole picture to coordinate the kind of reverse engineering efforts and information control and whatnot. I mean, I, I certainly think that's that's possible and probably uh what the situation is. But even in, in that situation that I described, that the amount that is known by um, you know, the sort of small group that, that are in the know and the even smaller group who see the full picture, the amount that they know is is still debatable and there's no way to know for sure, because obviously we have this curtain of, of secrecy. But going back to what jim and tom said um i must say it struck me as a little bit strange and almost seems like a bit of a a pivot in a way because of the way that you know ttsa and their sort of close associates you know basically are former senior government personnel who've been pretty clear on making the point over the years that the us government knows actually quite a lot more than the public at least ttsa kind of built their reputation on having insiders as part of their ranks who saw things on the inside uh, various different secretive parts of the government military intelligence and defense contractors and whatnot and that's kind of that inside information is kind of what led them to believe that this is a reality and even went so far as to say that they were going to build an advanced vehicle using some of the noise that they picked up and whatnot and that all certainly sounds like the government know quite a lot you know so um and I think also we're in a position after Grush's whistleblowing revelations where we've got kind of an even clearer indication than ever before that parts of the US government know way more than they're willing to acknowledge publicly. But I suppose it all depends on your uh, your starting point, where your starting point really is. It's all sort of relative. If If you assume that the US government knows everything about non-human visitation, non-human intelligence visiting the planet – how the tech works and you know the treaties and whatnot then if you assume all of that then maybe it is the case that the government knows less you know than than that assumption but i think you know the, the us government absolutely knows more than they're willing to admit to the public and that's become pretty clear in recent years at least in my opinion and what the question always comes back to for me is you know some small aspects of the us government intelligence military structure do know more than the public probably quite a lot more but what is the actual extent of what is known and understood? You know, you can have craft and bodies, but I have no idea where they came from, for example. So that was a little bit of a snippet that, as you can probably tell, gave me quite a bit of food for thought. Um, But what do you reckon, Dave, on, on that particular point and uh, anything to, to add on that side of it?
0: Well, uh, I think uh, I'm going to do something now. I'm just going to go through where Tom was, uh, where Tom started off. Well, I think it's interesting with Tom. He's always been a particularly controversial figure because you never know where the briefing info ends because people remember he said he was briefed by senior people and where Tom's sort of speculation begins because he was always into the topic. So, yeah, it was interesting that they were trying to retrench themselves back from that. And, I mean, Jem Semivan, I mean, he's got a lot of form in terms of what he said because if you listen to him when he first came out, he didn't know anything And then then last year, he was like a raging bull, you know, going on about these creatures and been here for years and frightening children and legacy programs. So he certainly seemed to know a lot then, didn't he? And now the pair of them were sort of going back to saying, oh, well, I wonder what they do know. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And I think there's a little bit of, with Grush and the worries about Grush being added with his collar felt if he steps out of line, I think there's a little bit of a worry about everybody saying nobody talks about any confidential information. So I thought there was a bit of that going on. And as we'll get on to, I think, I think Tom sort of narrowed his message and gone more on the sort of uh, consciousness side. So I don't know if Davey wants to come in just on that, because uh, I was going to then, if, if if you guys are all right, but I just wanted to sort of say what Tom originally said, and you know, around the first time, because I think we can then contrast it with, uh, you know what he's saying now, and it just might be just worth remembering what he said. So I just don't know if Davey wants to just come in here briefly, and then I'll do that.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and I think this element around the discussions and in moving towards a more consciousness, almost quasi-religious understanding of the of the phenomenon is really interesting, particularly given Jim Semivan's background where he has studied um, these earlier religious scriptures and the like so i think there's definitely something there to be said about that one thing that did strike me listening to that um, interview between the two of them was it made me feel a little bit like the stoner and his cool uncle in that we had you know a guy who clearly smoked a lot of weed in his life has now come to this hey we're all one universe man and it's all cool isn't it dude and his cool uncle who you know, normally the cool uncle had been the guy who'd been in a band when he was young, but actually, no, in this case, the cool uncle was the guy who had been in the CIA as an operations director. So really, hard, I, I loved it. I mean, it made me laugh in that sense. But again, we can't get away from how far the pair of them have helped bring this discussion and bring disclosure. But i I really intrigued to hear, Dave, how what Tom was saying originally and how that has changed over the years.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I got this off uh, just UFO rabbit hole. She has a great episode of this. It's a two-parter. and At the end of the two-parter, just in case you want to look look, look for it, she gives a really good summation of what he was saying. You know, and she took her a bit, so I'll just go through it and then we can sort of prepare it. So I've written this down in case you think I've got an edific memory. So basically starts off with saying god is real and he's the summation of universal consciousness so there's a real entity there we don't have to go with that the universe is teeming with life some's organic some isn't there's several races particularly interested in earth tom's advisors call them the others and they're like a mix of entities you know et ultra terrestrials whatever dimensional beings one race at least has med- meddled with our dna Uh, And the others have been here longer than us. And there's speculation as to whether we're seen as a possession or a commodity because of that, yeah? He next goes into saying there's many cycles of human history that have ended in calamity at the hands of the others. He postulates Atlantis was real and they could defend themselves against the others, but they eventually got caught out. And uh, the idea is that these phenomena, sort of composed of, as I got it, little gods who are fighting against each other and get us to do this on behalf. Why are they doing it? Is it some sort of proxy war? Or it, could it be that they feed off human suffering? And he also said all ancient religions are really reports of the others in another guise, you know, appearing like that. Crucially, the Roswell crash was the first time we actually got hold of the tech and the materials, and that woke us up. Within three months of that, the CIA was established, Department of Defence and the whole national infrastructure. And the reason that was done was so they could defend the country against the threat. It enabled them to keep it secret, so that only a few people had the full story as well. So at the same time, uh, there was crashes in Russia and China, Tom says, it to encourage a war. or who so was the strongest, so they shared the tech out. And the government sort of hid what they knew from the public, but also, and this is the crucial twist, uh, mainly from the others as well. So they didn't know they built bases and facilities underground and secretly got to work on developing a defense against the others. Okay, so that's interesting. And that's why Tom argued the Cold War never got hot because they were actually working together. And he said, it's a cover for massive defense spending on defense against the others. The government launched a big disinfo campaign to ridicule the subject, Blue Book, Condon, all the other things. Project Mockingbird. but the CIA did the press stuff. With the moon landing, I'm nearly coming to the end of this. With the moon landing, we saw the other we, we saw the other structures on the moon and the others are bases on the moon, under the oceans and underground. Cattle mutilations are real. Stories of demons are linked to the others. Apparently there's one race that despises us and would destroy us. But the others protect us from that. Uh, there's something about our soul in that. Uh something about the UFO phenomenon is deeply tied to consciousness, and we have more power than we know, and they worried about that. And finally, the top, the top hat, as it were, there's a black pyramid underground underground in Alaska, twice the size of the pyramid of Giza that's suppressing human consciousness. So that's what he said when he went on Rogan and all the rest of it. That was and the key thing to take away from that was that they were very much a real threat. Yeah. So that's that. So I don't know what you think of that. And we can, and we can contrast that in a minute, if you want, I'll mean, you guys might want to come back on that and we can contrast it about what he's saying now, which is slightly different. I mean, I can do that. If yeah. You might want but you know, I'm going to come back in. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I think, I think there's definitely some, some pretty striking similarities. Um, what he was discussing in this recent interview as well. It actually made me cast my mind back to that original Joe Rogan interview, to be fair. Um, you know, I mean, he doesn't really do that many interviews anyway, um, Tom, but I felt like he really kind of specifically almost focused on a lot of those aspects to do with religion and the consciousness thing certainly seems to be a direction he's really going in um you know which to be honest with you kind of surprised me because we've not heard from him for so long I I thought perhaps there would be more of an emphasis on the the work done recently you know Grush coming forward and the government angle and the legislation that's going through and all the rest of it and obviously that did get mentioned and Semivan specifically vouched for Grush's credibility as well which was quite interesting but I suppose I was surprised how much he was kind of you know some of the key similarities of the things he was still talking about f- from back then and just to kind of go back to what i was talking about um uh, earlier in, in my little intro um I, I often wonder how much of that has informed directly from his advisors and things and how much of this understanding of these concepts comes from his own research you know and how much of it comes from perhaps what is what is known about from his insiders that he's worked with and that kind of thing i don't know if you have any thoughts on that dave
0: Well, yeah, I think that there was a. I think he read a lot himself, and he also had quite an association with Greer, I believe, because a lot of this hugs the Greer narrative quite well. But I think then he spoke to these guys, and if you think about it, it's quite self serving, really, isn't it? Because if you had a transparency group who wanted to break it open, if they say, Well, Tom, you know, it wasn't really us because we were doing it to defend the planet, and that's why we had to keep it secret and commit these crimes that sort of gets you out of it in a way, doesn't it? So I can never decide if he's been been a bit of a useful idiot. Idiot's a bit strong, but being manipulated and how much of it is true. But it, it is really quite uh, – so I think there's a combination of the two. But what I would say, and we'll maybe get back into this a bit later, if you look at Grushy's narrative, it's quite a bit different to Grushy's narrative. Grushy's narrative is a bit more nuts and bolts. There's crash-trap and saucers. There's scientific research. There's legacy programmes. There's not these sort of weird and wonderful things that are happening, or the Nazis, or there's this. There's bits of that, don't get me wrong. There are similarities. But this is much more of a flight of fantasy. So I think a lot of it will be Tom's own thinking and maybe Greer's own thinking added with some other... Quite key information from these advisors, you know, but and that's the sprinkling some truthfulness. But I don't know. It's a, I, I will get into it later. But I'm never quite sure with Tom because I think, like Davy says, he's done a great service. But I'm never quite sure if the core story he's going with, it, it is is good. And now we've got Grush, It's the first time we can actually start to compare. We didn't have anything to compare against before.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point how we can compare and contrast, you know, the Grush with his kind of like verifiable background and, and we know he's been, you know, knocking on doors and looking into certain things. And the more that comes to light about the things Grush is specifically talking about, it's a good point that you can compare it with some of the things that, that Tom's been saying. Um, Funnily enough, things like um, treaties and sort of contacts and things like that is something that, that Grush has actually mentioned as well, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. But what do you reckon, Davey?
2: I think we have to be slightly careful in terms of comparing the, as Dave called it, the core story, which I think it, it, it does come back to the core story, as told by TTSA, as told by Tom DeLonge. And there is, a, there is a puzzle there to pick out, exactly as you said, about how much of that is truth, how much of that is misinformation, how much of that is disinformation, and how much of that was given to him, knowing that, the, that he could spread these stories. Because I think if we come back to Grush, I see a thread there between TTSA and Grush in that we are still looking at this group of people. And we go back er- earlier to, to John Alexander and his advanced the- the- theoretical physics group, working group. They contain a lot of the same people. as the connections with Valet. There's Halputov still central to this. We now have the next generation in the likes of Elizondo and Grush. So I think there's a there's a thread that runs through this, that these are still the people on the outside of whatever the the true secret is, the core story, picking at it and trying to get inside of it, trying to prove its existence. So we will certainly, I'm sure, definitely see those commonalities between what Rush says. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I think that's a really good point now with that core story there. And I think it maybe points again at Tom going off a little bit on his own thing, but there was a lot of things he said when he went on the Rogue thing, which were really good as well. So it's interesting the interplay. I mean, if you listen to him now, funnily enough, what he said in the latest interview, he said he, he's, he'd grown, gone into three stages of growth of his ideas. The first was, as I went through there, they went, come from other planets and they mess with our DNA, which I think he's still saying about the DNA. The second thing was the things were coming from other dimensions rather than the para. They didn't exist as such. They come from another dimension, and uh, they didn't have the same consciousness as us. And and they wanted our. We had some particular qualities they wanted to get. And then the third one was his latest thing is he thinks now he's rapidly advancing our DNA, so that well how did he put it so that they can sort of inhabit us really so that they're making us have a war and it softens up to sort of uh, go down this particular path. I mean, it all sounds mad, doesn't it? You know, but so they can harvest whatever energy they come from us and all the rest of it. So basically focused a lot more, as you were implying, David, in fact, on the consciousness stuff. And it's very much linked to the idea of Keel, these things being a trickster, being a lot deeper, what Semivan was saying about that as well because Jim sort of largely agreed with him there. And it's all about this sort of idea of social engineering, free will, what does consciousness mean? And the I, the way to beat it, as Tom says, is to evolve our consciousness. So he's very much focusing on that. He's moving away from the, the secretly trying to fight them again. And, uh, basically he said religion, particularly what I was there to control our free will and give us rules. And, uh, We've been exploited and made to fight each other i'm not saying i agree with you, i'm just thinking about what what he said here so our history has effectively been engineered to create conflict the weird thing he said was there's fundamental rules around free will he reckoned due to physics laws so that they've got to make us want to fight through our own free will and free will was the key kicker of that so he also mentioned the idea of whole reality. There's another deep thing. There's a load of synchronicities that are all related and we can't see. And funny enough, Davy, I remember thinking about the mechanism and the idea you and Ash about this idea, this underlying thing. So it was much more going for a consciousness-led sort of hidden agenda, whatever, religious conflictness. It's all about consciousness, not so much about, the nuts and bolts stuff, as it were. So that was where he seemed to go. And I'll come back to that in a minute, but I don't know what you guys think about that.
2: I, I, Yeah, I agree. And he certainly has been on his own. I would describe it as a, like he said, there is a, a growth journey, but it's become a more spiritual understanding of this. And again, I can't help but feel the influence of of his, you know, cool uncle Jim helping me out here because Jim comes from a Rosicrucian background, has a lot of studies of that. And I think this is probably, as we all do, we grow in these ways anyway. For me, the absolutely key part of that, that he seemed to center on really heavily around that element of this social engineering and tying it into actually modifying our DNA to to whatever end the the visitors had, was around free will. And that was really interesting to me, that this concept that free will was the the differentiator, that was what made us of interest special to the visitors and he talked about how he had come to believe that perhaps some of these visitors here were the jinn which is exactly what i was told when i met with gordon crichton in the early 90s and again gordon for those of you who don't know was a british diplomat editor of flying saucer review but he was absolutely a, a linguist like myself which is how i met him and he was of the the opinion that the visitors the aliens were the jinn and there is this trickster like element in the in the jinn law and there is also this cop this idea that differentiates it slightly from the ideas of the the fallen angels that we have in christianity that there are actually different types of jinn different family groupings and and different uh, levels of jinn but again one of the things that sets them apart and has set them on a a warring path with the humans is that God gave us free will. So there's certainly these threads that underlie this idea that come to here. I, I have to say, Tom, bless him, <laughs> oversimplified a lot of it when he was trying to explain it. And he tried to draw too many patterns there that, that in, honest, in all honesty aren't there. He talked at length about us being essentially three elements. So there was the, the soul, the tether, and the god um, and certainly this is an idea that we have you know the trinity the holy trinity in, in christianity and it does exist in other secular and non-secular um, belief systems i mean if we come back to to my background as a, as a yoga teacher we talk in yoga about there being different physical bodies there are then different mental bodies and then there are spiritual bodies or sheaths, as they call them, the, the koshas within those. So these are concepts that aren't completely new. And again, coming back to Hinduism, this idea that the literally the world around us is made up of different gods and they all have their own vested interests is very similar to what DeLong has been saying there. <sighs>
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I th- I th- I thought you would have found that really interesting, Davey, when I was when I was listening to it, you know, as well. Um, and and I think um, one thing about Tom DeLonge as well, um, you know, his ideas can sound pretty, you know, pretty mad and and out there kind of thing, especially to somebody who's not particularly familiar with these types of concepts. And there's there's a lot going on in his head obviously and that kind of thing and certainly always get a lot of food for thought listening to his his interviews and that kind of thing but a lesson that i've learned is um you know from listening to the original joe rogan interview i i heard that at the time before i was kind of deeply into the ufo topic and i did write a lot of it off and just thought what's this guy going on about i just remembered him as being a singer and a guitarist from flick 182 You're like what's he going on about now you know the egyptians and all this type of stuff um but the fact is, a lot of the things that he did talk about back then, which is quite some years ago now, um, like for example, the people that he spoke to, that he said he was speaking to at the time, I was thinking, this guy, no way, this guy's talking to like high level government officials. And obviously, as it transpired, he actually was um, very much so. And I think it's always worth bearing that in mind. Obviously, that doesn't mean that everything he's saying is bang on the money, and that's where the the mystery and all this lies for me. He's like he's got so many ideas that he's talking about, and only some of them are going to be you know true and, and and have some some merit to them but one thing about the uh the way that it's changed as you were talking about Dave, is i think there's less emphasis now on this thing of the government know a lot of stuff and the, they're specifically hiding that from the others because we're potentially working on ways to actually fight the others and to protect ourselves from them and things like that i remember even way back when he did that first rogan interview and a couple of the others i think he did one on um was it Jimmy Church or something like that? There was another one he did which was similarly very long and like full of all these kind of concepts. And I remember him talking about that idea of of trying to come up with weapons to fight the others and all the rest of it. And just I remember just thinking to myself, just there's a stumbling block there that I can't get past, which is if they're so advanced. How would we possibly be able to hide anything from them, anyway? You know what I mean. That it just seems like a logical thing that I struggled with, and in some ways, he's he's moved away from that now. And I think almost going down the route of, you know, this stuff is is so baffling that actually we would have no chance even hiding anything from them, even if we wanted to do. And you know, they have technology that perhaps even even the. The secret keepers that he's been working with uh the insiders even they you know the things they've been involved with they've tried they've got stuff they understand more than the public like i was kind of alluding uh, alluding to earlier on but even the most sophisticated programs and whatnot um you know i've have, have never been able to to really make sense of what's going on and i think he's he's kind of gone down that path and very interesting what he was talking about there with the the religion and, and the soul thing, because that's something that came up a lot of times in this recent interview with Jim Semivan, the thing about soul and the thing about religions. And um, if if these things actually are, are these things, whatever these non-human intelligences that are visiting the planet, uh, apparently, whatever they are, the most likely, I've I've said this quite a lot, that they're going to be not just a bit more advanced than us, but probably way more advanced than us. Um, i think statistically it's more likely that that would be the case you know if they're less advanced than us well they couldn't get here in the first place and if they're more advanced than us it's most likely that they're going to be much more advanced you know if you look at the the scale the time scales a universe is you know is built on you know they're not going to be like a hundred years more advanced than us the probability of that happening you know in a universe that's billions and billions of years old the chances of another intelligence being 100 years more advanced than us, they're probably going to be inconceivable you know by our standards and he uses that analogy of um you know putting a a mobile phone to a cow the cow can't even begin to understand it's just going to see a shape it's going to see lights and you know i i do think that that's something that, that resonates with me in terms of you know the way that we as humans see these kind of things uh, you know supposedly with people sightings and even just theoretically if we were to see anything from elsewhere in the universe that's most likely I think the type of dynamic that there would be and and it does remind me about AI because if he's talking about things that have got no soul and they're interested in us because we do have a a, you know soul for for want of a better way of explaining it a soul is, is kind of the thing and it's the way Tom describes it if there was a some kind of civilization out there um that has given rise to ai in a similar way to what humans you know seem to be heading towards if there is a scenario where the original biological parent species as it were perished um or was even wiped out by the ai or whatever it might be uh, a natural disaster and the air manages to escape or whatever the ai becomes kind of untethered from the biological parent species they would be quite interested perhaps to um to to find something comparable to their parent species or just to learn more about the universe and they probably would be quite fascinated by something that does have a soul and a biological you know body and that kind of thing and he, he talks about that thing about religions where you know christianity always talks about you know satan wants your soul don't open the door to satan because he'll claim your soul it's often about that ownership of soul thing isn't it um it's, it's yeah really really fascinating stuff but uh, did you want to add something there dave
0: yeah only the uh yeah just something dave was saying and you were saying that uh, it has always struck me and you know i like it. Just, there's a lot of old wisdom you can see in these old philosophies hinduism buddhism and all the ones they seem to have a greater understanding of the nature of reality a deeper understanding the nature of matter you can see it all in there so i think there's a lot to that but one thing that slightly worried me about what's going on is that there's a lot of like existing train tracks philosophically but i think we may be in danger of jumping into sometimes with these and so it well there's a book called the gods of eden just to go back a bit by a fellow called william bramley and he argued that the others throughout the Asia use religion and philosophical ideas and secret societies to sort of spread dissent and sort of a divide and conquer strategy, really. So that was interesting. And you could see that being a strategy, I suppose. And that reminded me what Tom was saying there in terms of that narrative. But there's a lot of ideas about our nature that are linked to this sort of hermeneutic ideas about God sort of being within us. So our salvation isn't through an organised church collectively. It's sort of individual transcendence. And we transcend our nature. It's all about individual salvation. And that's very much what we're hearing in terms of the others and this consciousness stuff now. And I, and you've got this old Rousseau idea where the noble savage, we were, were in a brilliant state, uh, apart from the old Hobbesian idea, where we're all bad and we needed to be kept in society. So... I think a lot of the IC and NASA people and Diana Pasulka and all that are talking about, and these people who believe in idealism and some of the physicists, they talk about a consciousness-led universe. But I think they're interpreting that in a very religious, they're using these old religious ideas to sort of go for it and like Gnosticism particularly. And I wonder if these new old ideas that some sort of talking about, and if they see them keep coming up, are being applied to the phenomenon, to this new phenomenon. So I think there's great old knowledge. I think it's, so but some of the philosophy was sort of religiousized, or whatever the word is, you know, to mean certain things about God and whatever. And now it's been applied. So I think it's relatively not dangerous, but I think we just need to be aware of that influence in that. And as I say, Jim Semivan, all those people from NASA, they're all bang into this. A lot of them a lot of them are Masons in NASA. There's nothing wrong with being a Mason, but it is part of their belief system, a lot of this stuff as I understand it, and that's where maybe why they're all turning up at what's his name, Chris Bledsoe's uh, farm, all looking for this and that's why I think they maybe believe in the keel version of things and I think there's this whole, so we're at a bit of a crossroads, we're at the this crossroads of it all being about this sort of consciousness thing and maybe the more nuts and bolts of the legacy programme thing and I think Tom coming out back at this side is sort of, placing us at that, at that crossroads. And I think it's really interesting for that reason. Yeah. So that and it ties into you about the the other types of creatures or races or whatever entities, Frank, that's a really good point about the AI. and Because the, the implication what they're saying is there's something particularly special about our own consciousness and soul or whatever they sought after. Now, that might just be a fabrication of all these old ideas I've said, and it might be something else, or there may be some merit to it. So it's fascinating to hear him going on, Tom, and he, although he makes long, big leaps, you do wonder what the other people behind him are saying, you know, Colm Callagher and Jim Semivan, because Colm Callagher is well into all this stuff as well. So, yeah, I, I, I found it interesting, but I wasn't quite convinced, I don't know.
1: Anything you wanted to add there, uh, Davy?
2: Yeah, just again, it, it's. I think you're, you're absolutely right. We're at a point where we are using probably outdated, outmoded frameworks to describe much of this by falling back upon old religious terms. And we're at a point where our science probably, you know, I, I met with the former editor of the Skeptic magazine who has staked his claim on this being a material, physical world with nothing unusual, nothing beyond that. Everything is a chemical, biological function of the brain. And I said to him, what makes you scared? What makes you think that you could, this could change? And the one thing he said was the current studies into consciousness. I might have got everything wrong. I might have backed the wrong horse. That's what he said to me. And we're at this point where our scientific Framework, consciousness is what we leap to, we ascribe it to, because that is what is at the very forefront of our level of understanding. So I think you're absolutely right, Dave. We have to be careful that they might both be completely wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, where the rubber hits the road is where we mistake these, we treat these beings as gods, and they're actually more sophisticated and just can manipulate reality. And if we make the wrong call on that, then our reactions, maybe, and that's that's. The problem in a nutshell for me, but yeah, very interesting. It's certainly not just about material stuff either. I think that's we've seen that for the double slate experiment, you know. So very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's good food for thought, isn't it? Listening to Tom and it does kind of make you wonder as about a lot of the people who he who it's like a window into to the discussions that that they must have as as a group. You know what I mean? And I think it's 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 quite interesting as well how people like um Lou Elizondo is has been very very cautious on a lot of this stuff and actually kind of distanced himself from it and sort of like chuckles when Tom DeLonge is brought up in interviews and things like that in a in a kind of a you know, in an affectionate way sort of thing. But he's like, I think he said, oh, well, Tom's Tom, you know, at one point in an interview. And, and yeah, that sort of, so it, it does make you wonder, like, very interesting to think about what, say, Lou Elizondo's take on a lot of this would be if he wasn't on a podcast and you just had a few beers with him one night and he was completely, you know, not worried about the repercussions of saying stuff. Because obviously that's a big thing with Lou Elizondo, isn't it? If he says something, everybody thinks it's a big hint and all the rest of it. So it's, it's an interesting kind of thought that, what them conversations must go like behind the scenes. Um and funnily enough, um, you know, Tom's outlook certainly sounds quite somber, you know, um, which obviously if you know, you know. And speaking of Lou Elizondo, this was a really seamless link. I didn't even plan this. But um the next point yes. I wanted to talk about is Lou Elizondo briefing uh briefing Congress. So uh according to uh various uh, news reports, uh, Lou Elizondo recently delivered a, uh, I think it was around about 20-minute and unpaid, apparently, presentation um, during the Conservative Opportunity Society weekly briefing, and he also answered some questions. Um, and that uh, Conservative Opportunity Society is like a conservative think tank. It's been around since the 80s. And there was various kind of rumblings. I think Matt Laszlo had a lot to do with uh, confirming that all of this took place. Uh, Matt Laszlo's been a a reporter that's kind of well in there in terms of the political processes in the States uh, and well in touch with it all. And he'd heard some rumblings here and there. I think it was um, uh, Burleson. And and then he's, he's managed to get uh, Representative Ralph Norman to confirm uh, that Lou Elizondo did indeed do all of this uh, briefing and corroborated uh, whistleblower David Grush's claims that were made during the hearings of when uh, Grush was under oath. And basically, talking about the fact that the US has this Unsupervised, um, you know, essentially legal program that recovers crashed craft of non human origin, reverse engineers them, um, uh, of course, all, all of the things that Grush had, had talked about. Uh, and according to um, Representative Norman, Lou Elizondo actually showed slides, was accompanied by a couple of pilots and a scientist. Um, and he added that there was a combat pilot that had flown missions and reported what he saw and also took pictures of UAP. Obviously, we we touched on this briefly, Dave, a little while ago. Uh, we were sort of speculating who, who that may have may have actually been uh, and whatnot. And uh, it's, it sounds as though um, there was a, a lot discussed in there. And Lou obviously had disappeared from the kind of podcast circuit and the public eye to an extent, but... Um he's, he's obviously still doing things uh, especially in terms of his political connections and working behind the scenes quite interesting to hear about that briefing and, and lou's activities recently are we seeing lou elizondo getting a bit more active again perhaps or is you know uh, is he going to disappear back into the shadows are we going to see lou reemerge to publicize his book which is rumored to be coming out this year i think you know a bit about that dave as well you mentioned the other day about having heard a few bits and pieces obviously lou stepped away Partly kind of out of concerns of becoming a bit of a figurehead for the topic and not wanting it to be all about him, you know, essentially. He didn't want the uh, quote unquote Lou Elizondo show, as Bob Salas once famously said. Um, so, yeah, interesting to think about Lou's possible reemergence. Are we going to see him maybe doing more podcasts and stuff this year? You know, would that be a good or a bad thing? It's debatable. What do you reckon, Dave? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Lou's definitely on manoeuvres, Frank, absolutely. He's uh, doing the rounds. I mean, he spoke to those, they were all Conservative Congress people there, and I wondered if he did that to undermine Turner, who's also a Conservative person in the House of Representatives, what we normally call Congress, who's been holding up the UAP Disclosure Act. But yeah, as you said, he confirmed Russia's story, and that guy, Ralph Norman, He'll pretty convinced when he come out there because I think had talked about what the NHA nature, the motivation, level of activity, what its purpose is. You think he gave him a full rundown? Those pictures were obviously pretty clear. I wondered if they were taken, I got the impression they were taken from a mobile, you know, but they were really clear. I wonder if it was a big triangle rising from the ocean or because it obviously it was pretty clear, whatever he showed him. I wasn't, I'm going to come to his book in a minute, but I wasn't sure uh, who the people were in with him. That's quite intriguing because he said there was an ex government one, which could have been Podesta. I thought it might have been Podesta, but it could have been Mellon or Stratton. They would all fit that one. So there's certainly one person in there. Then there was an ex DARPA scientist. Now, Hal Putoff worked for DARPA for a number of years. And I definitely think that's Putoff. Uh, I'm, I'm not under, I don't know, but that was my, it could be anybody, but I thought. And he does knock around with Lou, doesn't he, and part of the TTSA link again. The ex-pilot, I couldn't remember the guy's name. It could have been Graves, but there's another guy who, you, you said his name, Frank, I can't remember, who took the pictures. He was another famous pilot in the Nimitz who actually took the pictures. But I don't know
1: if you can Chad, remember Chad Underwood.
0: That's it. I thought it might have been Chad Underwood, but I wasn't sure about that, Frank. But it's either Graves or that. So he had a pretty good crew with him, you know, in terms of who was there and uh they obviously took it seriously and the other they implied he wanted to hear hearings people should know he talks about the young people knowing this older congress person so you know it was it had a pretty big big effect to him and uh and it's yet another building block for sort of support for hearings in the act i think that was what was going on and there's a big contrast with turner he got a lot of flack that day because while uh, he sort of thinks it's okay to ignore an nhi armada above america Oh, don't bother about that. Yet he screams his head off about any Russian space weapons when his mates in the arms industry could benefit from him flogging, you know, from flogging a few space weapons to the to the US. So he got a lot of criticism on the back of that. So I think Lou's if Lou did have a strategy, it worked on both levels. But going back to his book, you asked me about that. Yeah, there were some rumours. I think I messaged you about it, saying it was coming out on the sixth of November, which, uh, for the more politically astute, you, you will know that's the day after the US election. But apparently he got on the. He got. He confirmed he wasn't doing that. He's pretty quickly said, "Lou, that wasn't. I just got out his bit of missing for or whatever a misunderstanding, whatever it was." And it's not coming out, but it's certainly pretty coming out pretty soon. And I think we're sort of looking at these disclosure pathways now. I think we're going to see more of these doctor-approved articles. You know, from uh, that's from what's his name, Grush coming out and maybe a few others. We might go to see documentaries and films, and Lou's going to be in one of them. You've got James Fox, he's doing one. I think we're going to see a big piece around congressional committees and testimony. I think this was part of that. And I think there's something else coming up as well, but uh, maybe with Nolan involved, some sort of exhibition that we're not thinking of, which is more science-based. And Ryan Robbins, is it Ryan Robbins, who was UFO Jesus? I can't remember his Yeah. I think, yeah. He did this great thing on YouTube we are watching, 10 different ways we might see disclosure this year, which is really good. But if we come back to this lull period we're in, we might see we're all getting a bit frustrated now, but we might this is what we might see happening shortly. You see what I mean? Coming out of these sort of pincer movements to try and move the ball down the field. But I think Lou, as I say, was on manoeuvres, moving that ball down the field.
1: Aye. Yeah, what do you reckon, Davey? I think a reappearance of Lou
2: Elizondo is long overdue. Um, as you said, Dave, and I love the description that he's on manoeuvres, he most certainly has been, and he said himself he likes to work in the shadows, he doesn't like to be in the, the, the foreground. And I do wonder with these rumours about the, you know, the the impending book release on the 6th of November, maybe that is a nice way to put pressure on people Is to leak that the book's coming out around this time. And it doesn't have to, but that's again a classic intelligence ops play is to sort of use that as a threat to incentivize people and maybe they're in that stage where they're having to put the hurt they're having to put the squeeze on individuals. What I would really like to see is is the next David Grush and maybe that's what they're lining up instead, is the next person to come out. Um because certainly the book I would It will be a bestseller. It will be jumped all over by mainstream media because Lou has already got those connections there as well. So it will be a super tool for them to use. The other thing I would just come back to was again, and you mentioned, Frank, that the pilot who took the pictures could well have been Chad Underwood. Um, Being a huge Top Gun fan as I am, we have to go by his call sign as well of Chad Nuts Underwood. Um, and if anybody hasn't listened to it, I would suggest that they go back, and I apologise for promoting somebody else's podcast. There's a brilliant podcast called The Fighter Pilot Podcast, where a former Top Gun Navy pilot interviews other pilots, and he's done a brilliant episode back in early 2019, late 2018, with David Fravor, where they talk at length about who was flying, which planes, who filmed what clear as day exactly what happened and i know we get a lot of confusion people think that fravor filmed the tic-tac people think that graves filmed the the uh the gimbal but you know just for clarity so go back and listen to that everybody if you get a chance really good podcast <laughs>
1: brilliant yeah, no, that sounds sounds good, and like you say, I think it'd be certainly from my point of view, it'd be most welcome for uh, for Lou Elizondo to to dip his toe back in the water, which he certainly appears to be doing. So we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But I don't know, just just quickly to touch on the the concepts of disclosure uh, in some form this year. I I don't I, every time I talk about a, a slightly negative outlook on whether or not we'll see any disclosure, I get lots of messages afterwards from people <laughs> that disappointed in my uh, in my pessimism. But I don't know uh, this year. It seems like it's going to be more of a tug of war rather than some kind of actual. I think, like you say, the, the the most interesting thing that I can envision seeing. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not bloody crystal ball or anything like that. But you know, just from where I'm stood, I see. A lot of wrangling going on, tug of war on the inside. You know, a lot of kind of pressure being applied by those who were fighting for transparency, and a lot of, you know, pressure being applied back again from people who were absolutely against transparency for for whatever various reasons. And it is, it's. Uh, what what date is it? The uh, the election, Dave? You'll know Fifth, or or... Fifth of November.
0: Fifth of November.
1: Yeah, so to, towards the tail end of the year, there, I, I personally can't see it being a, an election debate issue. I think it's just too risky in terms of the stigma for it to be something that is actually part of the sort of key battleground points that they're going to talk about. It's just, I think, as much as we in the in the actual UFO community, as it were, you know, to us, it feels like massive strides have been taken towards transparency, but I just don't think the mainstream public are on that journey just yet. And I think it's just not—it's just too soon for that to be a key election issue. Bearing that in mind, I, I don't think there's going to be too much really going on in terms of an official announcement of any type, you know, until after the election. And then that's going to be so far towards the tail end of the year, I don't think we're going to see anything come out straight away, whoever wins the election. So i I think this year is going to be very, very important in terms of that wrangling going on. You know the 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 legislation last year got torn to ribbons by those who were wanting to keep the secrets, and obviously there's all them questions about defense contractors funding the key people who who tore it to ribbons in the first place. And now we're starting to see, you know, interestingly, going back to what um, uh, Jim Semivan and Tom DeLong were talking about, they were saying that a fire has been lit under Congress. Um, that was a kind of a key phrase that I, I remember from from that interview by the IC. And I that, yeah, and I think. Well, I think a fire has been lit under quite a lot of people's chairs. You know what I mean. Like the, those who were fighting for transparency have got a, re, a massively renewed energy to keep pushing for this because the sorts of things that that's happened over the last year. You know, obviously, if if you had a vague, the tiny, tiniest bit of interest, you would you would really have that that fire lit under. You. But also, the fire has been lit under the the people who are trying to keep the secret as well. And I think we're just going to see a, a you know to and fro battle between either side, um, and then perhaps once the dust settles towards the end of this year we might see see some things in terms of official uh, i suppose it all depends how you describe disclosure as well how you define that but for me, I think we're going to see them internal wranglings. We're going to see potentially more Dave Grush type of whistleblowers coming forward. But I don't think personally, I'm not going to place any bets on it this time like I did last year. But um, what do you guys reckon, Dave? Any, any thoughts on whether we might see someone? Well, something well like you that? are right. You
0: have been pretty negative and miserable about disclosure. <laughs> However, mate, uh, you have been, much as it pains me to say, you have been proved in many ways quite right to be more negative than certainly I was. I mean, I thought, I said last time, I thought we'd see something. I said end of March to cover myself, but I said I thought there was a good chance of something in February. That's not happened. And there must be a massive wrangle about this Grush op-ed. It must have something significant in it. So that's just to get this article out. And that's why I was joking about the IC thing coming out. So any article, we might see the printers or whatever, they might get blown up. The documentaries are probably by james fox's film company again won't they like they did last time so he can't get the film out and i was thinking what they're going to do to congress and i thought they might have put some dry rot in there but a fire would be quite good wouldn't it, to stop the hearings so i, I think I, I we are told something big's going to happen and they've obviously got some parallel thing with Nolan or somebody else where they're going to try and go for it this time to force the issue but it keeps we we keep underestimating the ferocity of the fight back from these sort of whack-a-mole merchants who've got nowhere to go. And, and uh, I think I think you might have the right of it, Frank, as you say, or more of the right of it, and you might be right in what you're saying. I'm beginning to think to get a little more pessimistic, but I also think it's pretty well planned. The only thing I would say it's pretty planned this the what, they've got a tiger by the tail of the government and the Biden administration and all the rest of it. And the longer this goes, the longer there's a chance that somebody's going to break ranks and break something really, but it's very hard to get out of. So if I, I think the administration partly tried to do the UAP Disclosure Act to sort of contain it because it was all nicely going to happen after the election. So the longer it goes on, if something mega comes out, that could properly derail the election and all the rest of it. And as I say, the government in power will cop it the secret, you know, for the cover up. I'm pretty sure that was what happened. So I think there's a risk for them not doing something as well, and so that might be. I mean, we don't know what could come out. It might. You might be right. He might never get to the public consciousness, or it could be something. So I think the Biden administration must want to put this to bed if they can, just so it's out of the way. So it's quite complex, but I think, from my point of view, I think yeah, it's it's going to be a slog, and and no matter what is planned. We're underestimating these uh old sort of uh network old boys network as it were you know were uh, wanting to cling on to power and not to get the collar felt, basically
1: yeah and, and you know speaking of that kind of fight back as well and uh, the to and fro that that's going on as, as we know there's been this kind of increased push to sort of um you know sort of Preempt any anything happening. Like if if Arrow, have got a report. You know, kirkpatrick Patrick could appear on a, a news network doing an exclusive interview, exclusive interview the day before. And you know, if there was anything big coming out, there's always these kind of coordinated attempts to sort of set the narrative a certain way. Um, and interestingly, I was just reading that um, uh, Sean kirkpatrick's Patrick's final uh, Arrow report will actually be released to the public. I think before the March the seventh, which is the State of the Union. Um, and uh, I, I saw some speculation, it is only speculation, but that, that Grush might be coinciding the release of his op- op-ed around about that time. That'd be an interesting turning of the tables, wouldn't it? Patrick comes out with his what he's anticipated to be an extremely kind of like negative report, downplaying the topic and doing what he did with the last couple of bits and pieces that he's brought out. But wouldn't it be interesting if he drops that and then the next day Grush comes out with his op-ed and it sort of uh, completely takes everybody's focus? That'd be sort of turning of the tables for for the ages, wouldn't it? But yeah, what do you reckon, Davy?
2: I think that'd be absolutely wonderful to see, wouldn't it? Um... <laughs> And again, it's it's that there's this battle that they are playing between who gets out when and and trying to manipulate the news cycle. Um, and I agree with Dave, uh, and even more so with you. I, I'm often accused of being a cynic, but I always challenge them by saying, "Well, it's cynicism born of experience. We've seen this a lot of times. We, uh, I don't get my hopes up anymore." And I think the gutting of the the Schumer Rounds Amendment was a real stark reminder that the power of the politicians is limited, they like to think, and we'd like to think that ultimately they have the power and This comes back to Tom Delong's comments at the start that nobody really knows, and if they do know they don't they're not able to do enough about it because they're just people in an organization. The real power and influence lies currently in the world we live in in this capitalist world with where the money goes. And so it's the shareholders of the big companies that determine what really happens. They're the, one that, the ones that hold sway. And I think we, so that that's mainly why my hope for a political disclosure is limited because there's only so much influence that the political powers actually have.
1: Yeah, and there's certainly the, the influence of the defence contractors and all the money tied up and all of that that's playing a big part in all of this as well. Go on, Dave, are you going to say something?
0: Yeah, Mean Tweet, or Green Street, I should say. He said, uh, he actually said that it was coming out on the sample match and it was going to be along the lines of what he'd been saying and what Kirkpatrick had been saying in these op-eds and all the rest of it, all this, it's all a few lunatic scientists who've conquered, absolutely stupid and easily provable thing. But this this is what they apparently, if this is has been believed, that's what the history of... The official history, but the Comptroller General signed off when he's gonna say it's patent, arrant nonsense. You know, so I think that's a big issue. And there's two things about that. Firstly, it might prompt some big backlash against it, and it's an attempt to poison the well, as you were implying, Frank. But it might have a big backlash against it, and it might say do something else. I hadn't heard that about the op-ed from Grush. Now I heard on the Thomas Fesler show yesterday. But partly the 8th of March is the State of the Union address. So the 7th of March, if, if Kirkpatrick did it then, he'd be saying that. So it got lost in the State of the Union because that's when Biden stands up on the president and gives the State of the Union how they do. And it's a big sort of, you know, event in the US, big political sort of theatre, you know. Uh, and so did they were thinking he might be sort of to bury it. So it'd be interesting if Grush come out at the same time, because that might not be the best time to do it, but it certainly would be. That's a little kink on whether he'd do that. But I reckon that'd be a brilliant way to turn the tables. That's, that's really good. And I totally agree with you, Davey, about the, the thing we've seen it before. I think you did right there. Very good. Yeah, so that's just really interesting. I can't still can't believe they're allowing a man who's shown himself to be unobjective and not, you know, to, to do that history. I mean, I just I still can't get my head around it, yeah. So somebody's got the power to make that happen.
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see when Grushy's op-ed comes out. As I say, just to reiterate, it is just something speculative. I'd say on Twitter that's yeah, there's yeah. no actual, there's no like indications on the grapevine that that is going to be coming out then, but um it's certainly been significantly delayed hasn't it i remember hearing originally it was going to come out early january and here we are Mm. end of february now and we've still not seen it so um i wonder what the story is behind all of that we'll we'll see um but anyway moving on to our our, our final point um i don't think we'll have as much to say perhaps on this one but it's interesting nonetheless um uh, an article in liberation times by our old mate chris sharp um about a a member of the European Parliament representing Portugal, Francisco Guerrero, uh, hopefully I'm saying that right, Um, that's about as good as it's going to get, I'm afraid, uh, has urged the European (laughs) Union, the EU, to gather and evaluate data concerning unidentified anomalous phenomena, uh, obviously UAP, and Guerrero's marks uh, were delivered during the European Parliament's uh, plenary session, again, uh, I realise how illiterate I am when I actually start doing research into this topic. I tell you what, uh, but anyway, that session is on the fifth of February, um, which will uh, coincide with the development of a new European space law, slated to be uh, released in draft form uh, in, in the next uh, coming weeks. And this particular space law initiative is is um, been sort of led by the uh, European Commissioner for the Internal Market, uh, Thierry Breton in collaboration with the european uh, space agency and um guerrero stated about this particular space law quote in the security pillar there is a gap that needs to be filled currently the eu doesn't have a harmonizing scientific system to report on unidentified anomalous phenomena this topic which is a serious issue needs to be addressed and is being dealt with the utmost importance in other countries and he also added it's fundamental that the EU Commission includes in the European Space Law a program to collect data on UAPs as well as the scientific body to analyze these events in a transparent and public way unquote so it sounds pretty promising but then again Arrow sounded pretty promising at the beginning, so we'll, we'll have to see how it all takes oh, shape uh, as things move along. Um, but I understand that he's, this particular individual, Guerrero, is not going to be standing for re-election, but it looks like he's decided to kind of kick-start uh, this conversation. Um, and you know where, where does this leave us? Of course, um, the UK uh, is not actually part of, of the EU anymore uh, after Brexit, so um, I'm not sure how this will affect us directly, but could we start to see the UK kind of open up more on this topic in order to keep up with what our European neighbours are doing? So, Dave, you're a, a very politics-savvy individual. What what are your thoughts on all of that, then?
0: Well, there's, there's no chance of us opening up, whether we're in the EU or not, so we can f- forget about that, I think. But this was pretty significant because he talks about... Uh, collection of data from member states from the european defense agency which is still fledgling and civil aviation so they're the three main ones really so that was pretty interesting but it does show us some interest in europe about this there's growing questions and the eu is a significant block analogous to the usa in many ways you might say strategically geopolitically you know its posture and all the rest of it so there has been, as we know, an increasing interest in the EU, in France, Italy, Netherlands, Belgium, and Spain, and Germany more recently. So, But apart from France, it's not really been carried through by many governments, and Italy's had a bit to do as well. So, But this was previously handled by NATO, if you remember, and it was really a military and IC matter, and they... As we've read on various times, the USA led the way, they kept it covered up and they kept it secret and treated it as a military matter. Now it seems to be becoming more of a political issue and moving into the political sphere, which is, I think, very significant. And if you remember, because uh, it could change the accountability, that's the point. And if it's dealt with on a national level or federal, as the US people would see it, that makes a big difference. If you remember that. Uh, now, the reason that well, I think when I mispronounce stuff, frankly, because I read it in my mind, and I think, Oh, great, I know that. And then when I say it, I, realize I have no idea how to say yeah. so it. You well, you're think you bad. I'm sure the listeners will have heard me struggle. But anyway, Paolo was at Gazzardi. And that's about the fourth different way I've said that on the show. Uh, he was a European broadcaster from Italy, and he, he went from Italy working with the EU. And he's done a presentation like this to the commission, and he's the prominent Italian guy in ufology. And he actually is the person who set this thing up in San Marino, if you remember, that UN thing. And I think that is really significant, A, to get the European bind, but also from Europe to then go to the UN. Because I think ultimately this is going to get sorted out in the UN. I think it's where it's going to end up. Lou was pushing for that to take the stranglehold of the US off it. So I think we've seen... It may be being ripped a little bit away from the IC and military's grasp and the U.S.'s grasp and the U.N. Would I think it ultimately will have to go there to the U.N. Oh, it won't have to, but it's the way everybody can discuss it once we know what's happening. Because there's nuclear issues, there's economic issues, there's loads of issues, but the world needs to get round the table to sort out, and it is traditionally a pressure valve for those kind of issues in the world. So I thought, even though it's a little thing, it seems, this was quite significant for people. It was to be raised because Europe's been sleeping at the wheel for decades on this, really, and it's, things are starting to change.
1: Yeah, definitely, and it's it's always interesting to to hear any kind of statement by any politician referring to this as a serious issue that needs to be handled scientifically, and you know, acknowledging that there's a public interest in it, and it's a legitimate issue, and you know, and and it's, it's not all about tinfoil hats and whatnot. That that's always good, and it's nice to see that a bit close to home here as well. Actually, something just you know just over the on the other side of the channel and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. Any any uh, thoughts from you on that, Davy?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, my first thought, and I don't know how you felt about this, Dave, was um, this gentleman, Francisco Guerrero. He's thirty-nine years old. He was born in nineteen eighty-four. Oh, no, I didn't <laughs> it know made, that. Made, made, made me feel horribly old that people who were <laughs> born when like, when I was when I was about to run the world or whatever it was we were doing for Live Aid was um, was was not being born yet. But he's now a <laughs> European politician. Oh, yeah he, but. But what it did bring to mind is again one of my favourite topic topics is this idea that actually, you know, the the the, the oft quoted science advances one funeral at a time. Well, this whole thing advances one funeral at a time, yeah. and the old guard are dying out. The old traditions, the old rules, the stigma around this topic—all of these things are dying out, and there's a new generation of people who are up here who. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's unusual. For them, the idea that we are not alone in the universe is fine and acceptable because they've grown up watching this on television through you know, various sci- sci-fis. What I loved about this most was his quote about why he's wanting to do this. He said, My mother was a biologist, always passionate about science. Through my upbring- upbringing, I understand that we need to take a curious look at the world around us. We know that the issue of unknown phenomena is real. And since I'm very critical and analytical, I always maintain a sceptical approach. Since I'm a sceptical person, I feel that we need to understand what UAPs represent. It gives me great hope and great heart that there is another generation, and there'll be a generation below them of people who will take this, take this bat on, run with it, and make things happen.
0: Yeah, that's a great take that, Davey, and uh, that's really can't miss that. It's really important under that, that thing of it. And it makes me think when you were talking, you know, the idea we mentioned of the Overton window, which is the acceptable thing that people think they can talk about, an issue within those parameters. And since they've actually had that UAP report in 21 saying that they were actually flying around and some of the other things, I think even subconsciously that affects it, become moves into that Overton window of what can be reasonably discussed. And that's a really good parallel you were making there, and I think that's maybe that, that funeral one at a time and the changing way it's being viewed, and then that by the science thing. That's a really, really good time, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, concept as well. There's these young, relatively young um, politicians who are active in this topic. And uh, you know, just while you were talking, I started Googling some politicians' ages, and now I really do feel old, I tell you what, some of these people. <laughs> And Anna um Paulina Luna's thirty-four years of age, like significantly younger than me, so I definitely feel old. Matt Gates is forty-one. Um Gallagher's thirty-nine. Um luckily for me, Eric Burleson is forty seven <laughs> years of age. So now I feel young again. So um anyway, anyone got anything further to add? I think that's uh that's a good point to, to wrap it up and I'll go and uh, cry myself to sleep thinking about my grey hairs. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> <laughs>
0: right. i just got from the table with my knees creaking now as we say that yeah that's right yeah. oh god you've depressed me now no <laughs> no you
1: haven't it's all right we'll, we'll, see, we'll see disclosure before my 40th if <laughs> oh, all goes well we will yeah, we'll we away. will don't get
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. the 40th then. i don't know what you're trying to say there frank yeah but <laughs> uh,
1: well t- t- nice. well I'll, I'll give you a clue that that's later this year so plays out. i'll, I'll put uh, my optimistic hat on
0: I'm well past that, let me tell you. But anyway, that's all right. But, uh, yeah, we I just don't need to
1: dwell. No,
0: yeah, it's been great having Davey on. I've really enjoyed it and uh, really good take on some of the stuff. And you're uh, fantastic. I've really enjoyed it tonight, the chat. And it yeah. seemed to flow from topic to topic, didn't it? From Tom to more nuts and bolts and then to the family at the end, the, the sort of promise of, the sort of new, as it were. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, been a real pleasure. Uh, thanks both. And uh, look forward to, to next month's roundtable. All right, we'll leave it there.
0: See
1: hey you hey, later. Guys. Thanks, everybody. UFO Roundtable The huh? UFO thinker and pursuit of the paranormal podcasts.